singing. Thank you for being here this morning. On uh, you know, it's like the day after everybody's having a, a Fourth of July hangover. So it's good to have you all here, and uh, we're glad that you're with us. And uh, you know, when you've heard the saying, um, "It's not how you start; it's how you finish." That's right. So we're in the Book of Acts. If you have a Bible, be turning the Book of Acts. If you're joining us uh, on on the online, we're glad that you're here. We're going to be in the Book of Acts. Uh, we're really finishing up. Uh, I'm not going to be finished this morning with Acts, but I am just coming talking about finishing strong on the ends of the earth. I've been talking about that for the last few weeks in regard to Paul. And last week, if you were here, we talked about key men and uh, spent some time on that this, th- that discussion. And so um, I tell you what, it's uh, it was so good last night to be out at the park with key men and women, and uh, and it was just it was easy. It was really lightly attended. Uh, kind of like everything over Fourth of July this year is lightly attended, but uh, but it was it was a really good time. I think there's a lot of God's grace on that, and we had a lot of great conversations and connections with folks. And if you're joining us this morning, by the way, because of that, we're glad that you're here. And uh, if you're uh, even online or may, perhaps you're in the building this morning, we're glad that you came this morning, and uh, we hope that you have a good connection with the Lord, and uh, and uh, obviously with the Church of the Living God. So. Uh, again, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Acts. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from the seat rack in front of you, and we'll be in um, page 1,449. So it's, you got to turn past the middle of the Bible, then back toward the back, you'll find the book of Acts on page 1,449 in the 28th chapter. And uh, today we're going to be picking up uh, another segment of this study of Acts 28, our theme chapter, um, our theme in this chapter, I'm sorry, has been finishing strong in the ends of the earth. Paul's doing just that. He's finishing strong. It's not how he started, though he started well. He's also going to finish well, and that's what's so important. And so uh, so last week we looked at the first three keys to finishing strong in the end of the earth. Uh, there are three of them, and we're gonna, we saw the first one last week. The, the first of three is the key men. Today I'm going to look at key cities. This is going to be an interesting message. I've never actually probably preached. I know I don't, well, most Sundays, if you come here, I've never usually preached the message I'm preaching. Uh, it's the first time for every every Sunday. But I've never really preached a message quite like the one I'm going to do this morning. So I hope it goes over well. Uh, and uh, and just as a way of reminder, though, last week we saw the key men, and, and the key man is in motion. We saw that from Acts 26, or 28, verses 11 through 16. And I gave you a thesis there that key men uh, are in motion because it reflects God's great commission. We spent some time talking about how God has entrusted to us a great commission uh, in in uh, Matthew 28, Acts chapter 8 and verse, or Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, as Jesus ascended, he gave him more specific information, and then he told him, uh, you know, you need to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth, and then uh, he ascended, and he said, wait until Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit of God descended and indwelled the church, quickened the church, and brought it to life, uh, and so uh, since that time, we have been entrusted with that mission, and we are going forth to do that. So. That's why Heartland is about making disciples, uh, teaching people the Word of God, um, and men, women, uh, children, teaching them the Word of God so that they can grow up and follow the Lord's will, His mission, uh, to accomplish the Great Commission. So we talked about that, and then we talked about key men are in fellowship, and uh, my thesis for that was that key men are in fellowship because it reflects God's great commandment. There's a great commandment found in the Word of God. You know, Paul was looking for brethren uh, when he hit the shores of Rome. He was looking for people he could fellowship with, and, and God provided those. Uh, because, you know what, uh, we're looking, people, we need fellowship beyond our church. Like Heartland is not the only church in town. We're not the only church in the Midwest. We're not the only church in the metro. We have several ch- sister churches we're partnering with. We have, we have people in our sister churches in our Bible Institute. We have people helping us with Bible assembly from our sister churches. We partner with our sister churches in ministry in regard to missions all over the world. We've got to have fellowship. It's so important. And then individually, of course, we come to church because no man or woman is an island to herself. Uh, um, I was just talking with Jan. You're glad to be here this morning. Jan, it's good to have you. And so Jan's been isolated because of COVID. Uh, by the way, Gwen Arney wrote a good article about isolation in our newsletter, which came out this weekend, and, uh, and just what it's like because Gwen has to be isolated. Several of our members have to be in isolation. And man, I tell you, during times like this, if you have to be in isolation, you really covet, you really appreciate the, the, the fellowship that we have together, even just being physically in the proximity of your brothers and sisters. So we talked about that, and then we, we saw that key men are investing, right? And the key men are investing because it reflects the great invitation, right? God is a God that, that offers a great invitation. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, 
I'll give you rest. He doesn't even qualify it. And uh, now his audience at the time was Jewish, but we know that God calls all men everywhere to repent. He's wanting everyone to be saved. Um, and so in Revelation 22 and verse 17, in regard to the spirit and the bride, what do we say? We say, come, right? Uh, we don't qualify it. Uh, in that context, it's to let him that heareth say, come, and let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever, whosoever, right? Let him take the water of life freely. So it was fun last night to give out free water and the water of life. So that was, it was a good time. And that's what we were doing last night. We were just literally doing that very thing that we're called to do. So this morning, uh, we've, we've established last week that key men are important. We know that. That's what Jesus was about. Uh, before he went to the cross in, Act, in uh, John 17, he prayed. He says, my work is finished. But he hadn't even went to the cross yet. But he, he was praying about his work with his disciples. Right? He came to invest in these, this motley crew of disciples, uh, and these dudes, uh, they, they went after it after the, after the Lord uh, left the Spirit of God and, to indwell them in Acts chapter 2, and they accomplished incredible things. We're still, we're still living that, um, uh, that legacy, so to speak, of the Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus promised to be with us always, even till the end of the world. So the same ministry that they had is the same ministry we have, the same Spirit of God. And he has given us the word of God, he's given us the local church of God, and he's given us his spirit so we can accomplish his mission, so we can accomplish his great commandment, and so we can offer that great invitation. So this morning, what we want to look at is, is that I want to look at the tale of three cities, the tale of three cities. And, uh, and if I want you to look in your Bible, in the book of Acts, chapter 11, I'm just going to read, or chapter 20, I'm going to start in verse 11, and just read this once again. Um, I know we looked at it last week. Um, and in its entirety. I'm going to do that again because some of us have slept and some of us haven't been here before. And so uh, I want to look at Acts chapter 28, verses 11 through 31. So if you would look at the text with me, we'll read this together. Acts chapter 28, starting in verse 11. The Apostle Paul is on this journey, and Dr. Luke records, and after three months, we departed in a ship of Alexandria. And I want you to note Alexandria. This is a key city I haven't said a whole, much, a whole lot about, but I'm going to talk about it this morning. Uh, which had wintered in the isle whose sign was Castor and Pollux. And we've talked about the details of that. And landing at Syracuse, we tarried there three days. And, and uh, from thence we fetched a compass, which means they circled around and came to Regium. And after one day, uh, the south wind blew and we came the next day to Patoli where we found brethren and were desired to tarry with them seven days, and so we went toward Rome. I want you to notice Rome in verse 14. That's also a key city that we're going to be talking about this morning. And uh, from thence, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as a pie forum and uh, three taverns, where uh, when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. And when he came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. And it, and it came to pass that after three days, Paul called the chief of the Jews together. And when they were come together, he said unto them, Men and brethren, though I have committed nothing against the people or customs of your fathers, yet I delivered, uh, uh, yet I was delivered from Jerusalem. <clears throat> I'm sorry, I don't have my glasses. I, delivered, I was delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. Uh, who, when they had examined me, would have let me go, because there was no cause of death in me. But when the Jews spake against it, I was constrained to appeal unto Caesar, not that I had aught to accuse my nation of. For this cause, therefore, I ca have called you to see you and to speak with you, because that for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. So Paul basically is letting the Roman Jewish folks know why he's there. And that he really hasn't done anything illegal, but he's appealing to Caesar so that he didn't get killed. And we've covered all of that as well. So now we're in verse 21. And, and uh, they said unto him, We neither receive letters uh, out of Judea concerning uh, thee, neither uh, any of the brethren that came showed or spake any harm of thee. So we haven't heard anything about you yet, Paul. But we desire to hear of thee what thou thinkest. For as concerning this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. Now, we'll get into that next week. And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus 
both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets from morning till evening. So all day long they had a Bible study, and he was showing them from the Old Testament uh, who Jesus was. Verse 24, And some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. And when they had agreed not among themselves, they departed after that Paul had spoken one word well, uh, spake the Holy Ghost of Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers, saying, Go unto this people and, and say, Hearing ye shall hear, and ye shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. For the heart of this people is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Be it known, therefore, unto you, that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and that they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed. Oh, thank you. The Jews departed. This will help me a little bit. Or maybe not. Uh, departed, and he had reasoning among themselves. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which were... Uh, which concerned the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for this passage. We thank you for how this book ends. It, it kind of is anticlimactic in, in regard to what we know occurred in Paul's life. Uh, but the reality is this is exactly how you want to end this, this book of transition. You want us to be looking at these key men, these key cities, and of course uh, next week we'll examine the key message as this book comes to a close. And Lord, I pray this morning, as we consider these key cities, Lord, that you would open up our understanding. Help us to contextualize this in a way that really propels us forward in your mission uh, with your great commandment and this great invitation that we talked about last week. And I thank you and I praise you and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so that was a lot of reading. You've done a lot of reading this morning. I praise the Lord for that. I want to talk to you about the tale of three cities. The tale of three cities this morning, and they're all found right here. The first one is Jerusalem. In verse 17, as we read, I didn't tell you to, to, to mark it, but down in verse 17, uh, the Apostle Paul mentions that he, he was called to the, the chief of the Jews together, and uh, it, he mentions here Jerusalem at the end of verse 17 uh, when he decided to, to be put in the hands of the Romans. And so the three primary cities, there are several cities mentioned in this chapter, but I want to focus on are Jerusalem, Alexandria, Egypt, and um, Rome. And so uh, the, the, the city of Jerusalem... Uh, is noted, it's noted in Scripture for rejection of God's Word. We think of Jerusalem, we don't really think of that. There's, today when you think of Jerusalem, there's a lot of geopolitical activity, uh, and it's a religious city, but people don't really put it in the context of how they relate to God very often, even though it's a religious city. Uh, there's as much in the, in the news press and, and what have you regarding all the geopolitical activity in the Middle East uh, that will ultimately culminate in the return of Christ. I'll talk about that in just a moment. But Jesus Christ does have a special place for the city of Jerusalem, but they're, they've rejected him, literally rejected him, which is why the gospel ended up going to the ends of the earth um, as it has through the Gentiles. So, uh, so in Acts chapter 28, and verse 17, uh, at the end of that verse, he says, Yet I was delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. Now, Paul was just a man, and he was... An, an, wasn't just a man, he was the Apostle Paul, but he was really being transitioned from the Jews' custody to the Rome. He was in the Romans' custody, and he elected not to go back to Jerusalem and be tried because he knew that he would be, uh, it was a kangaroo court, and he was going to be executed, and, and God had plans for him to preach in Rome. It was just that simple. But also, as you look underneath uh, what's going on, God has a mission that he's trying to accomplish, and he's really shutting the door on the nation of Israel. As we read at the end of the chapter here in Acts 28, Paul preaches to them, and then he says, you know what, Isaiah said it just right. You guys can hear, but you can't hear, and you can see, but you can't see. I mean, you're just not getting the message, not only in Jerusalem, not only in Judea, not only in Samaria, but in the uttermost parts of the earth. And that's why God wraps up Acts 28 that way, because he's actually revealing the fact that Israel's heart had grown cold to the word of God, and it had shut. And so in the Old Testament, Israel rejected God's promises, and it started, and this is what's practical for us, is how did that start? What really, what was it that set in to where God's chosen people, I mean, God had all these promises. I mean, promises. Dude, I mean, he's got, or dudette, he's got some major, he's got promises, like me mega promises. 
you know, you're going to inherit the stars. You're going to inherit the, your children are going to be like the sands of the sea in number. I mean, just huge. You're going to have dominion. All the world, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. through you. I mean, they had, and here's my word. Now go and, and, and operate your government by it. And he said that all this promise, but yet it all fell apart. And they went into captivity. Man, that, that's what happens oftentimes in people's lives. Not, I'm not talking about people who don't know the Lord. I'm talking about people who know the Lord. My life, as a matter of fact, I have probably as many or more examples in my life personally of people who have come to Christ and not followed the Lord faithfully as I do people who I know have come to Christ and been faithful in following the Lord till the end. And I said at the beginning, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. Now, don't get me wrong. It's important to be saved no matter what. I mean, you want everyone to be born again. But we also want people to finish strong. Right? We don't want people to fall off like the nation of Israel. So, so it started with idolatry. What really caused Israel to fall away was idolatry, which ultimately resides in our heart. In the wilderness, while God was giving the law of Moses on Sinai, the children of Israel were building a calf and worshiping it, right? In Exodus 32, 4. We've all seen uh, Moses, right, in one movie or another, and that's what they were doing, right? He's, he's actually getting the download from God on the law, uh, and, and as he's getting God's word on Sinai, the, the first preserved word uh, that was in, in the Hebrew language, uh, man, uh, the people are partying it up like it's 1999. They didn't even know that yet. And so, uh, and so, uh, so they're, I don't know why I always come up with lyrics and things from the old, but, but they were, they were, they were, they were just, uh, they were just missing it. Just like people do today. Just like I've done before. I know you have too. After Israel repented of idolatry, right, uh, and successfully enters the promised land under Joshua's leadership, it isn't too long before Judges chapter 18 uh, ensues, and once more, this is subtle, but God records it because he's no, he knows what's going on. This guy just gets together with his mom, and they, they end up making a, an idol, and then they need a priest, and so this guy Micah hires up a, a priest uh, from Ephraim, and so he's got his little worship thing going on. Forget Shiloh, forget the tabernacle, forget God's purposes, because i got my own religion. And then one day the tribe of Dan rolls by, and they take and they say, Hey, we want your priest, and while we're at it, we're going to take your idols. And he's like, Whoa! And he tries to go out and negotiate, and they say, Son, you better settle down, Micah. We're going we're gonna to kill you. One of these men from Dan's just, Dan's pretty feisty, uh, that tribe of Dan, Dan. One of these guys is just going to jump out here and kill you. So he goes back home sulking. Man, I just lost my religion, lost my priest. And they take their little idols and they go with Dan. And the next thing you know, Dan, they go into this town called Laish and they, they end up uh, defeating these folks. These folks were uh, peaceful people. They roll in, they take over. And then they set up in that town, well, they aren't their own idol. And then they start worshiping there. They don't go to Jerusalem. Or I mean, it wasn't Jerusalem at the time. They don't go up to Shiloh, don't go up to Bethel. They just do what they want to do. Just like a lot of Americans. You know, I don't need to go to church. I can worship on the golf course. George Barner wrote a book about that a few years ago called Revolution. How church is so revolutionary. We don't need each other anymore. Yeah, right. Run that by God in the Bible. But Satan's patient. That, he's really patient. Because it takes about 400 years after all that incident before a king rises up named David. And David sets everything up. The kingdom is ready to roll. I mean, you got a king, you got a kingdom, you got now you're in Jerusalem, you got a temple, you got the law, you got the, you got everything that you need. You have Samuel the prophet. I mean, you had everything that you need to go forward, and the promises are coming. And on this throne, the Messiah Highway is laid out. There, this, there's gonna, this throne is going to rule forever, and David gets that promise. Another great promise. I mean, it looks great. Every there's the bank accounts full. There's there's we're gonna we're gonna go forward and uh, build this temple. And everything's going to be awesome. And, of course, Solomon comes along, and uh, he takes over, and it's the most ornate thing that the world's ever seen. He sacrifices. It's incredible. He says, God, give me what You guys know the story. God, give me wisdom. I mean, everything looks so perfect. But you know what? It was one generation. And, you know, it's interesting how that rolled out because cause Israel ends up going back to the golden calves, just like back in Exodus. Because two brothers can't get along. Rehoboam's not too sharp, but he's the rightful heir to the throne of David. And 
Jeroboam, his brother, he, he goes down to the world, Egypt, for a while. He comes back and he says, i got a plan. And he takes ten of the brothers. He divides up the house of God, kind of like a church split. Divides up the house of God, drags a bunch of people with him, ten, ten of the tribes. He says, guys, you know what? We don't need to go to Jerusalem. We don't need to go bow down at Judah. Of course, it's not about Judah. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about God in the Old Testament, Jehovah God. Um, and so this, i tell you what. Anybody can be a priest. Just come to me, and I'll, I'm just going to make you a priest. And you can go down here to, to Dan, and I'm going to set up a golden calf. And, uh, and then you can go up here to uh, Bethel, the house of God. <laughs> and we're going to set up a, a calf there, and you guys can just worship where, wherever you want. And you know what? Before it's over, you fast forward the tape a few hundred years, a thousand years. Not even a thousand years, actually. And, and you have people doing whatever they want it's back to the book of judges everyone does that which is right in their own eyes there's as many gods in israel as there was in india and paganism was rampant idolatry led to captivity now second kings ten twenty nine says how be it that the sins of jeroboam the son of nabat who made israel to sin jehu departed not from after them because jehu was a good man to wit the golden calves that were in bethel and that were in dan there's not a whole lot actually said in the Bible about what I just said about those two golden calves. It's just kind of a mention. Or, and you just got to read the Bible and you figure it out and you piece it together. I remember when God showed, actually, God showed me that in my daily reading one time. I was just kind of working through all that. And I finally linked Judges to Dan, to Jeroboam, to the idolatry. And I was like, man, Lord, isn't that just like us? The devil's super patient. He's patient. He'll wait 400 years. To mess up the church of God. Idolatry in the ten tribes of Israel eventually caused God to judge them and take them into captivity by the Assyrian kings in 734 and 732 BC. So those ten tribes ended up going into captivity under the Assyrians, and then Judah and Benjamin <clears throat> were not inoculated from the judgment of idolatry and defiling of the temple, and God finally had enough. And so he allowed the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar to come in in 606 BC. And so in 606 B.C., there was nothing. All those promises, all those things that God had promised, it looked like were over. Israel was taken out of the promised land. Judah, Benjamin, the whole, all 12 tribes uh, had been decimated. Not only had Israel rejected the law, they rejected the admonition of the prophets to that point. And, they had, and we've got all those records right in our own Bible in the Old Testament. By the way, I, I'm going somewhere with this, so hang with me. So was it over? What do you guys think? It wasn't over. Man, isn't God gracious? Some of you might be here this morning, you're like, man, I think it's over. I have gone so far from God. Maybe you're watching online, you're like, I have gone so far from God. I am that guy, Brian. I am that gal. I, I'm born again, but I've been walking away from God. I haven't been following the Lord, but I know that I should because I, I've made a commitment to Him and He's in me and I'm in Him. I mean, you know you're born again like you know you're born again, but you also know you're full of idolatry and you're full of rebellion and you're so far that it's take, God's had to take you into captivity. When we go to the, the jails and the prisons and preach, a lot of times, man, that's where it, it takes God putting people literally in captivity before they actually wake up and go, you know what, it's time for me to get right with God. You know, sometimes God has to do that he had to do it with Israel. He had to spank them. And so God restores them. Man, praise God. In his grace, he reestablished Israel back in the promised land. He promised Jeremiah. And as he told Jeremiah, right, they're going to be 70 years. And then in 536 B.C., he restored the temple. Daniel figured all of that out. The next thing you know, Ezra, the mighty scribe, the ready scribe, he ends up going back under the auspices of the king. Uh, and, and goes and establishes worship back in Jerusalem. Hallelujah. God allows worship. It wasn't what it was, right? Because sin has consequences. It wasn't as big as it was, but yet they're, they're doing what God wants them to do. And God says, don't despise the small things, right? Don't get your eyes off of what's important. Keep your focus on me. I've got this thing. And then he goes silent for 400 years. He prophesies of of uh, the Messiah and, and Micah, I just talked about a few weeks ago on, on Father's Day, and then he just goes silent. And then guess what? Jesus, the light of the world, shows up in Jerusalem. Hallelujah. The next big event in Jerusalem is Jesus, and Jerusalem is the key city we're talking about here. 
And the reason I'm talking about this is the people in Jerusalem had a, they had a, a propensity to reject, right? They re- Moses is getting the law. They're partying it up. Uh, Joshua gets them in the promised land. The cities are already there. All they got to do is do what the Bible says, and they're, they're, it's on like Donkey Kong. And you know what? They mess that up. David comes along, a man after God's own heart, after Samuel, and man, all of those things. God uses all of that and sets him up with Solomon, but Solomon's sons, well, Solomon himself. What, what tripped him up? Yeah, idolatry. Too many wives, too many idols, and then his sons divide up the kingdom. But finally, all the promises come to fruition in one man, and that man is Christ Jesus. The next big event in Jerusalem is Jesus, the key city. And as we know that Jesus came to his own, and his own received him not. The Apostle Paul himself, who we're reading about, was on both sides of this fence. At one point, he was ready to to kill anybody that would, in his mind, mess up the Old Testament law with Jesus. And the next thing, he's born again and he's preaching the gospel, becomes the primary ball carrier for the gospel in the New Testament. And he is preaching, Jesus is the God of the universe. He is the God of the nation of Israel and he is the God of the Gentiles. All men everywhere need to repent and come to him because he is the way, the truth, and the life. Just like he said. And Paul goes radical, man. Just like us. And so praise God for that. The Messiah came, but the Messiah was rejected in Jerusalem. By the Jews. He was rejected in Judea by the Jews. He was rejected in Samaria. And we just read in Acts chapter 28, the door closes as Paul preaches in Rome to the Jews. And they're like, nah, I'm not sure about this. And so Paul pulls an Old Testament passage out there in verses 27, 28, and 29. He says, guys, God's already written about your rejection. You don't want to do this again, but here you go. And you might think it was over. You might. But is it over? No, it isn't over. We read the last interactions with the Jews here in Acts 28. It was cold. It was confusing. It was vacillating. Uh, it was a vacillating response to the gospel. It made God sick. And, seven, uh, and, and uh, seven to eight years later, in 70 AD, the temple would be leveled, and his plans for Israel was on hold until 1918. When Lord Belfort uh, Declaration was passed in Britain in 1917, 1918, Israel was allowed, the children of Israel allowed, after almost 2,000 years, to go back to the promised land. Whoa. <clears throat> now, nobody was announcing that. That God had just done something of biblical proportions. But that's what was going on. And then in 1948, at the conclusion of World War II, there was a Missouri populist president named Harry S. Truman. Some of you guys might have heard of that guy who declared Israel was a sovereign nation. And that was as big as Cyrus, king of Persia, sending Ezra back into Israel to establish worship. I mean, that is huge when that happened in 1948. And so, Jerusalem was a key city, and it is a key city, even to this day. The next big events in prophecy revolve around Jerusalem as the fullness of the Gentiles become in, according to Romans eleven twenty five, which is the last remaining souls which will be born again and compose the beautiful bride of Christ before the catching away of the church and the ensuing fulfillment of Daniel's 70th week, which is also called commonly the tribulation period. The word enraged, the world, I'm sorry, is enraged against another populist president that made a move as significant as Lord Balfour or President Harry S. Truman or King Cyrus, or King Darius. Uh, and this is not a political statement. I just want you to, I don't care what your politics are. This is, I'm just talking history as it is unfolding in front of us. December 6, 2017, President Donald J. Trump declared Jerusalem to be the capital of Israel, restoring, restoring <laughs> the tension that has troubled the Gentile rulers of the world going back to Vespasian and Titus in 70 AD when they leveled the temple in Jerusalem. With that one move, the tension mounts. And Antiochus uh, IV, or also called Antiochus Epiphanes in 168 AD, he had that same tension. He goes down to Jerusalem, or goes down to Egypt, he comes back to find these Jews had taken back over the temple and thought they were in charge, has to come back and slay everybody and uh, persecute them. That led to Herod the Great eventually and headed the ten- headed, it led to that tension that we talked about 
uh, with Paul and Agrippa and all these things that we've been reading about as geopolitics do affect the Bible, especially when it comes to Jerusalem, because God has a plan for that city. And it doesn't matter what anybody thinks about it. The world rotates around what's happening with that city. But you're not going to watch that on the news because everything else is distracting you. And me. But these events are as big as Alexander the Great in 331. I mean, he was going to roll over Jerusalem. And he had a vision at night and said, no, I can't do that. You better not do that, Alexander. He conquered everywhere he wanted to conquer. Gets to Jerusalem says, no, we better not, we better not destroy Jerusalem. Darius, Cyrus, Ahasuerus, Nebuchadnezzar, Sennacherib, all these men had to deal with Jerusalem. If you're, gonna, if you're watching this, which you're not, if you're some leader of the world, listen to me. If you're a world leader, you're going to deal with Jerusalem. You're going to, especially if you're a powerhouse of a leader, if you're a Nebuchadnezzar, if you're a Sennacherib, if you're a Hasawarit. If you, if you have one of the big nations on the planet, you're going to deal with Jerusalem because of Link, Jerusalem's going to find its place because of its Messiah, even though they rejected him. So though Donald Trump made the biblically correct decision, the principalities and powers are going to pin this decision squarely on... There's a reason I'm going here, beloved. People who have a literal interpretation of the Scripture. See, what I've just laid out is actual history. I, I like the, the cute kids that come in from college and they're all enamored by their new college professor who's taken their Bible away from them, evidently, because we didn't disciple them well enough. And now tell me that the whatever, the fossil record or whatever, cannot possibly justify the creation account. I always like to say this. Well, let me tell you. What can, what can you tell me then about the Daniel account? What can you tell me about the prophecies of the Bible? And they're always saying, I don't know what you're talking about. That's the point. This book is accurate in history. It's God's story. It's his story. It is to be looked at literally because it's been fulfilled literally, and it will be fulfilled literally. So, why is that important to y'all today? Because Paul was a Bible believer, right? This is talking about our DNA. We're talking about finishing strong. And if you're going to finish strong, you've got to hold fast to the faithful word as you've been taught. You've got to believe what the Bible says about Jesus. You've got to believe what the Bible says about Jerusalem because it's still a key city. But listen to me. When a, when, I don't care your politics. It doesn't matter what you think about the, the current president. That's not what I'm talking about. I can just tell you this. When a decision by a world leader is made about a key city and people aren't happy about it, the people they like to blame are Bible literalists. Just like they would blame a jihadi. Uh, for being a terrorist. A literal interpretation of Scripture. If you think the world is restless because of COVID-19 or Marxist polarizing speech and running through the streets terrorizing business owners and tearing down statues under the guise of social justice, you need to guess again. The powers of the world are responding to the influence of the last remnants of the biblically born-again Church of the Living God on this planet upon the most powerful Gentile nation in the world. I just said it. That's a bold statement, what I just said. But guys, this is the times of the Gentiles. Things are changing. The fullness of the Gentiles is coming. Things are changing. Things are shifting. In Newsweek, there's a Newsweek article. that, uh, And there's several of them. There's, you can find several of these articles if you just want to Google it and, and look up this issue that I just mentioned um, when Donald Trump announced that Jerusalem was going to be the capital, and we're moving our embassy there, and we are doing that right now, our nation is. That messes up everything for the peace process. And so Newsweek, and I just, I wanted, I had all this stuff I was going to read from Newsweek. I just said, I don't have time. So you'll have to go and read this stuff on your own. But uh, this is just an example. They say, evangelical Christians overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly supported President Donald Trump because they believe he'll cause the world to end. I'm not, that's a quote from Newsweek. And then they go on to give several actually factual comments about our, the theology, right, and a, really a dispensational view of what's going to happen. I mean, a lot of that's true, but what's not true is why and who and who cares. Like the Jews in Germany, Christians particularly, Bible-believing Christians, will be blamed for social and political ills in the future. If as they have been in the past, just as they have been in the past. And I'm just telling you that because he that hath ears to hear, 
let him hear. You need to listen. Because we got a book. Paul rolls into, into Rome with his buddies at liberty, a Roman citizen. Five to seven years later, he's in hard labor bondage, head chopped off. It changes that quick, that fast. And by the way, with no regrets, ready to go home to heaven with grace and love in his heart. Praise God. Not fighting, not drawing the sword, just loving God and loving people. Doing the great commission, the great commandment, offering a great invitation to everyone, including Nero. So it's no accident that the discussion of the world's foremost key city for the past 3,000 years involves Bible-believing Christians. As we see God moving away from Jerusalem in Acts 28, we now see him moving back toward Jerusalem as the fulfillment of Daniel's 70th week will approach. And so we as a church have a direct role in liberating Israel from the power of Satan, first of all, through the gospel. I don't want to see a Jew, a Gentile, anyone go in the coming tribulation. Actually, if you enter, if your life, if you're like a lost person, maybe you're here this morning, you're not saved, and you're like, what are you talking about, preacher? Well, 2 Thessalonians tells me that there's a whole group of people who will not receive the love of God in 2 Thessalonians. They won't receive the truth of the love of God, and they will end up in a time of great tribulation, in a time of Jacob's trouble, a seven-year period, a Daniel's 70th week, where they're going to suffer greatly on this planet, and many will die and perish and go to hell. And that's where all the mark of the beast and all that stuff all that stuff that used to seem like, how could that ever happen? <laughs> now we're like, oh, well, we can see how that can happen. Easy. But we also understand the church returns in Revelation 19, Joel chapter 2. And we actually are also physically part, literally part, of seeing Jerusalem established under the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not because we want to see the end of the world, but because Jesus is actually really going to bring peace to the earth because he's the Prince of Peace. You say, well, Brian, that's pretty polarizing because you're not making room for Buddha and you're not making room for Confucius and you're not making room for Allah. No, I'm not. That's, I'm just saying what the Bible teaches. But our hope for the Jews in Jerusalem is not in the second coming. <clears throat> um, like Paul, we know our only real hope is in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, which, we, which they rejected over in 1,958 years ago as Paul wrapped up his ministry there in Rome. So, uh, so our hope for the Jews is really the gospel. We want to get them the gospel today, even if they're hard of hearing, right? Even if we just had uh, Steve, he's not here today, and Luke, you guys went to Israel. Did, did you, would you feel comfortable just going out in the street and telling everybody about Jesus? Would that go, like, over well? No, it wouldn't go over very well. They'll make money off of Jesus, but they're definitely not ready. Most of them are not ready to bow the knee. So in Acts 28, we see Paul entering Rome as a Roman citizen, doing nothing but proclaiming Jesus as the literal fulfillment of Scripture and the hope of Israel. His resurrection is literal, just like the Bible teaches and was prophesied. And five to seven years later, he's likely, after he likely traveled to Spain, perhaps Great Britain, uh, he finds himself doing hard time for the crime of being a Christian. And Nero, the Gentile Caesar, blames Christians for the social problems, and he fiddles as Rome burns. You guys remember, remember that old uh, history point? And then, in, in, uh, and then Vespasian follows Nero in 69 and 70 AD, and he unleashes a, a general named General Titus, and Jerusalem was crushed, and they did not worship God for 1,950 years. But last year, this year, uh, during the COVID crisis, this spring, they wanted for the first time to kill a sacrifice on the Temple Mount. And President Netanyahu was like, you know what? You need to go for it. They even had the Sanhedrin. They had it all together. It was the first time that they were going to be able to sacrifice on the Temple Mount since 70 AD. You know what happened? COVID came and stopped it. And the president said, don't do it. But that's coming right around the corner. So let me recap this because there's a point to this. It doesn't matter. Look how, man, God has blessed Israel. He's blessed Jerusalem, that key city. But when they allow idolatry to come in, man, it all just comes to a halt. God's still got a plan for them, but it's going to go through great tribulation to get there. Rejection of God's word is what we have seen over and over again in the scripture concerning this key city. Sadly, it will be Jerusalem where the Antichrist, the false prophet and the beast, will beguile the very elect, if it were possible, 
And God's grace will, will prevail as the 144,000, the two witnesses, will come and preach in the tribulation. Today the Jews will reject Christ and are the enemies of the gospel, uh, but, and they are blinded in part, just like, just like the church of Laodicea. We always talk, yeah, Israel's blinded in part. They're blinded, they're blinded because of the rejection. But it's interesting that the last church mentioned in the New Testament in the book of Revelation chapter 3, of which we reside in, is also blind. What makes us so blind? Perhaps it's idolatry. Maybe it's idolatry. So, that's the first key city. Second key city is Alexandria. That came up, right? We see the ships coming and going from Alexandria, Egypt. Noted in Scripture for perversion of God's word in Acts 28.11. And after three months we departed in a ship of Alexandria which had wintered in the isle whose sign was Castor and Pollux. Alexander's history is founded by Alexander the Great in 331 B.C. Alexander the Great, many of you know the, great, the Greek ruler. And the, I'm going to have to skip through some things here because I'm running out of time. But this, this ruler, Alexander, I'm just going to go off the top of my head here. He, he comes rolling in in 331 out of nowhere, out of Mesopotamia. And he takes over more property. And he does this thing called syncretism. You guys ever heard of syncretism? That's okay. If you haven't, that's cool. We're going to learn about it this morning. Syncretism is what he did. He took all the wisdom of Greece. Greece is noted for its literature. I mean, they saw themselves as intellectually elite. Right? And he takes their gods and he takes their literature and he takes their culture and he, he, he just seeds it all over the earth. And he finds this city in Alexandria called Alexandria, Egypt. He actually creates it just down the street from another port. And he makes a new port there on the, on the delta of, uh, of uh, Egypt. And, and this place becomes Alexandria, the hub of Hellenistic wisdom and philosophy on the northern coast of Africa in Egypt. And from there he begins this port city where you see from the book of Acts, the ships are coming and the ships are going and the ships are coming and the ships are going. Rome and uh, and Egypt were just like this. And their culture infected or affected the Roman Empire. Following, of course, following Greece's rule and Alexander comes the Roman Republic and then the Roman um, imperial rule of of the Caesars. So Alexander's influence in Egypt still is felt to this day. The Hellenization, which means the, the, the basically making it a Greek culture, of Egypt was very prolific from the time of Alexander on. And to this day, I just actually watched several videos this weekend. Of, of They have meetings today in Alexandria, Egypt, to talk about the Hellenization of Egypt. They still talk about that. They have meetings and all these big shots come in and they, they put on forms and all of that. They're still going on, even though Israel is a Muslim city. Or I mean Israel. Even though Alexandria is a Muslim city, it's still and is now still the second largest city in Egypt. And as we saw in Acts 28, there's huge grain shipments going to and fro, landing in this city called Patoli, which we saw where Paul landed. Same place. Uh, And so Alexandria, I want to just kind of mention, what is that about in Scripture? Why do you bring it up, Brian? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, it's, It's a type of the world in general. Egypt's always a type of the world in the Bible. It's a place where God's people were in bondage, of course, and God freed them miraculously and the Passover and all of those things. We know all about that and gave them the promised land. Alexandria was not part of the ancient uh, Egyptian system. It was created in 331 BC by Alexander the Great. And it still has Greek influence to this day. And the Greek, of course, whether it's from Athens or Alexandria, is synonymous for higher education. You don't join a sorority or fraternity without having Greek letters over your name. I mean, to this day, it's, it's noted for scholarship, even though Koine Greek is no longer spoken. When we see Apollos hailing from Alexandria, he is mighty in oratory ability, but he's not fully informed. In Acts chapter 18, uh, in verse 24, it says, In a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man, now he has a Greek name, Apollos, and, and mighty in scriptures came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. It wasn't in his skill. It wasn't in his knowledge. It was in, well, it wasn't his knowledge. He didn't know the whole council. And so we know what happened. Aquila and Priscilla taking him aside, and, they, and he's a teachable man, by the way. Apollos himself was a great man of God. 
And, and he was taught, but he didn't have all the information he needed from Alexandria, Egypt. And so he was influenced. Paul's ministry did not really need Apollos' influence. Apollos in Alexandria, Egypt needed the influence of the Apostle Paul to get things squared away. And the next time we see Alexandria mentioned in Scripture, it's in Acts 27 and verse 6. And, the, and there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing into Italy, and he put, put us therein. And Paul, well, Luke writes that about the, the trip. And this passage reveals the direct influence of Alexandria on Rome. And it was at, the time, at this time in Acts, 8, 20, or Acts 27, 6, that, that the economy and the political influence associated with Alexandria was, was, at, was at a huge apex. As Rome was growing and expanding, they had to have the grain coming out of Egypt. The very canon of scripture used by the Vatican to this day is heavily influenced by the scholarship of Alexandria, and the Apocrypha cannot be found in any other manuscripts other than Alexandrian manuscripts. The doctrines of purgatory and many other false teachings arose from this Hellenistic assimilation of Greek and Roman gods into the scripture. You're not going to find purgatory in the Bible. In Acts 28.11, after, after three months, we departed in a ship of Alexandria, which, we, which had wintered in the isle, whose sign was Castor and Pollux. The ship from Alexandria carried Paul right to Rome, which is where his influence was needed, as Rome was the most significant city in the world outside of Jerusalem. Now, Alexandria typifies the best education of the world has to offer. It's sophisticated, it's grand, it's considered to be ancient, yet it's not altogether true. And its wisdom really isn't as ancient as they think because it's not as ancient as the Bible because God's wisdom is eternal. The theology of Alexandria always leaves one working their way to heaven without the benefit of a pure word from God. It's always resting in the scholarship. Always. It's never in your hands. Ever. It's always in the hands of the scholars. You don't have a Bible in your lap. I don't have a Bible on this pulpit. No, no. The the true knowledge, the Gnostic knowledge, resides in Alexandria. There are people that believe that to this day. We got a country here. We got a country here based on people who rejected that and actually believed the Bible literally. And God literally has blessed the USA, and I might add Israel, and I might add Jerusalem because of that. Just saying. Alexandria in church history. Alexandria is proud of her Greek heritage to this day. In addition to its great library and the tomb of Alexandria, it boasts of having a grand lighthouse. It was one of the seven wonders of the world. It was on a small little island called Pharos in the harbor of Alexandria, and it rose 331 feet above the water and can be seen for 30, 30 miles. There's some salt because they put this smoke up above the lighthouse, and then they had this sophisticated light system that could shine up to 30 miles. Uh, They also had some sophisticated way of of optics, which they still don't know how they were able to to see what they could see. So they were pretty advanced technologically. But they would also get this smoke billowing off the top of this thing. And some sailors said, and it's just we don't know if it's true or not, said they could see it from 300 miles on a clear night, which I'm like, I don't know if that's possible. But, but, uh, you know, that's what they say. A lot of things going on around. They were like a lighthouse to the world. They had technology. They even had these robotic servers that would roll out and you put your cup on it and the arm would drop and then the, and the wine would come and fill your cup. No joke. I don't know how they did that, but they did it. You can look it up yourself. I'm like, whoa. Sophisticated cats down there in Alexandria. The culture was so advanced. It's unbelievable. They had a half a million books in their, in their library, largest in the world. I was taught in school that it was destroyed, but recently I found people to say it just kind of dilapidated. I don't really know. But long past the library and the massive lighthouse and all of the enduring influence of Alexandria, really what it left behind was the Septuagint. It's widely taught that the Septuagint was a miraculous rendering of the Hebrew uh, into the Greek by 72 Hebrew scholars gathered from 285 to 247 B.C. by a guy named Ptolemy, uh, who was the leader of Egypt at that time. Uh, And many of the scholars of this day believe Jesus preached from the Septuagint, which I don't have any reason to believe that's true. And so regardless of when the Septuagint was composed, which I doubt if it was composed then, it stands today as the standard of textual critics 
and it holds the highest value in the science of Bible interpretation. Which may not mean a whole lot to y'all. I got a meeting in a few weeks with some folks from a Bible school, Baptists like us. They're, 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 they're getting their own translation school going. Why? Because right now there's a famine in the land. It's hard to get a Bible translated without somebody influenced by this critical text mindset. Where the, 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 the authority in translation is not the text, it is the scholar. It's not translation, it becomes your interpretation, and it becomes private at length. Now this stuff may bore you, but it's important. So I'm sorry, it's 4th of July, it's light, you guys are tired, but you've got to endure. Just, just hang on with me a little more. Because Rome, Rome's coming up. Rome is the city where Paul was heading, influenced by Alexandria, of course. And, uh, and that, that, that Greek Old Testament created in Alexandria, regardless of the date of its origin, has been the source of many poor translations. Not for the last 2,000 years. As a matter of fact, it's been rejected for most of the last 2,000 years. Most everybody, even the Vatican, rejected it. But the last 120 years, it's been used prolifically to usurp the authority of a certain word. And I'm not just saying your King James Bible. I'm talking about the text, the received text, but the King James Bible in English. The Vaticanus and the Sinaiticus texts are often used to correct the Hebrew Masoretic text and, and the New Testament. And the Masoretic text of the Old Testament in, uh, in Hebrew is still available. You don't have to look hard for it. Modern textual critics over the past 120 years consistently choose perversions of the Septuagint over the Masoretic text of the Old Testament, Likewise, which is in Hebrew. Likewise, the corrupt text of Alexandria called the Sinaiticus and Vaticanus uh, that not only the Roman Catholics accepted before modern textual criticism, I mean, rejected, and, and they also used uh, just before modern textual criticism, um, so they kind of vacillated on that. Uh, they, they also, today, you know those ships that were coming up? You know what the ships were doing back in, in Palestine? They were bringing grain to Rome so nobody would starve. Because if you didn't bring the grain, you're going to starve. Well, today, beloved, forget the physical illustration. It's getting harder and harder just to find a pure word. Because what's being shipped to you isn't a pure word. And there's no wonder there's a famine in the land. There's power that comes with the pure word. There's protein. It's like a GMO process that has gone wrong. Is that right? Genetically modified grain, man. It's like something is wrong in the grain. Yeah, there is something wrong in the grain. It comes from Alexandria. And people with some sense ought to reject it. Why should we care? Because we're actively assembling God's word this week. I mean, right now, this week, we just put together 1,200 What's the, what's the number? 1,600. Is that right? Wow. It went up since like Saturday. A lot of work got done. Thank you. Praise God. So we're putting together 5,000 Bibles right now. It's important that we don't go over here and put together the wrong one and ship it to, to a, a, a country like um, Sierra Leone that's in the midst of a revival. And, and when, we know, when we know we got a certain word, why would we send an uncertain word? When we know when we got a pure word, why would we send a, a, a word that's not pure? Why would we do that? Well, we wouldn't. So Rome is noted in, in Scripture for persecution. For those who believe God's word, this is the third city. Acts 28, 14. got to get done here. We, we, we found the brethren, and we desired to tarry with them seven days, so we went toward Rome. Acts 28, 16. And when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul suffered to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. Paul's relationship with Rome was as a freeborn citizen and, and also as a prisoner. Like Paul, we are living in a Roman era. Pastor Alan Shelby often likens American culture to, to the new Rome. It started as a republic and eventually shifts to an imperial power before its citizens even realize it. God wanted Paul in Rome, and he wants us to, in this world. God had Paul right where he wanted him. He wanted Paul in Rome. And we are bound here by these carcasses. Until you die, you can't get out of here. You're stuck. <laughs> You're stuck on this earth, man. You're earthbound while you have this skin on. God has you right where he wants you to be right now. 
Why? So you can witness of the resurrection, so you can talk about Jesus Christ, so you can let people know that he is real. It's a wonderful thing to be at the park last night, to be in a place where we have the freedom to stand up and speak and talk about Jesus and love God and love people and send out a great invitation. The prophecy of Rome. Rome is a Gentile city. It's, It's full of power, and God sketches it out for us in the Old Testament very clearly. Just as the rise of Alexander the Great and the influence of Greece was prophesied in Daniel 8, verses 5 through 8, and Daniel 8, uh, 20 through 22, Daniel chapter 11 and verse two, uh, 4, Ezekiel 26 and verse 3 through 5, Ezekiel 26 and verse 12, Ezekiel 27, verses 32 and 36, Zechariah chapter 9, verses 3 through 4. Right? Those, are the, those are the Old Testament prophetic references to Alexander that actually came to pass. Well, so too was the rise and the influence of Rome prophesied to Daniel as Rome is the chief influence among the Gentile powers, as Jerusalem was among the Jewish powers, upon the world from the time before Christ's birth until the time of Jesus' second coming. Rome is introduced to us in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, interpreted by Daniel in Daniel 2.40. I don't have time to read all of it, but I am going to say verse 40 of chapter 2. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, as iron that breaketh all things shall it break in pieces and bruise. You see, God reveals in his dream that Rome will retain many Greek vestiges of Alexander's reign, but will be much stronger like iron and subdue even more land than Alexander. Rome executed on that prophecy and subdued the known world, reaching as far as the British Isles about the decade that Jesus uh, was crucified. The history and the conclusion of Rome and her influence is revealed also in Daniel chapter 2. And it says in verse 41, And whereas thou sawest the feet and the toes... Of the potter's clay and part iron, uh, and and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, which represents when the the kingdom was divided by the Byzantines to the east and the Romans to the west. But there shall be in it of the strength of the iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with clay, and the toes and the feet that were part iron and were part clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. This can mean a lot of different things, but, but geopolitically, they're, they're, they started off as autocratic like Babylon and Persia and Greece. They became a republic that eventually will end up with an antichrist, a complete, absolute dictator, uh, being uh, riding upon the back of, of Rome into power to control not just the Roman Empire but the world. Okay, that's a, that's a thumbnail sketch. At the end of the day, Jesus is the one that has to return to set all this straight. And I don't have time to read all my passages, but this morning I can tell you this. As a young man, I've watched the influence of of how this works among the Gentile kings of the earth. When I was a young man, I I watched several things just unfold before me. Uh, Since I've been saved, I've seen the laundering of money. The biggest criminal uh, cartels on the planet have had their money laundered. And uh, you can read that book right there, God's Bankers. It's factual history. You know what? You ain't going to find a lot of information on the internet. Yeah, go. You got to dig it up, but it's true. A lot of money's gone through Rome, through the bank, through that bank system there. Um, Manuel Noriega. When I was a young man, in the '80s, old George Bush declares a drug war. He goes after Manuel Noriega. I mean, Manuel Noriega is running for his life from the U.S. government, from the special forces, from the operation going on. He runs to the Vatican, shuts the doors, and nobody can touch him. They finally they negotiated for him. Praise the Lord. Manuel got saved in Florida in a prison. So praise God for that. He ended up getting saved. But he was a, he was a drug dealer too, by the way. And so I saw that. And then there was Luck Valenza and the Pope and all that action back when Reagan was in and negotiating a deal. What was that deal negotiating? Well, everybody, it was important. America was saying, hey, we got to get rid of the commies. And at that time, the Soviet Union was our biggest adversary. And so that deal was getting brokered right through the Vatican. Because the Pope, up to that time, supported communism. They still do support communism. We fought wars on this continent in the north, northern hemisphere through proxies down here in Central America, and we were fighting that. That's what the war in El Salvador was all about. It was communism versus capitalism, or us versus them. And it got brokered out through the Pope. Archbishop Romero, go study it. He's now a martyr. Everybody worships him. He's the one who introduced revolutionary theology, which means it's okay to overthrow the government if you feel like it, which Americans kind of get into that. But uh, I tell you what, guys, you got to be careful with that because uh, you could go the wrong way in a hurry. 
Even the fire and the brimstone dispensational Antichrist-hating Irish pre preacher Ian Paisley eventually to bring peace to the Northern, Northern Ireland had to work with the, the, his Roman Catholic friends in Rome. So here's Rome's future. Rome finds its way to the rise of Antichrist as he uses her religious and political influence to ride into power. Then after attaining power in the tribulation, he allows her to be destroyed by the Gentile kings that have committed fornication with her. You'll read it in Revelation 17, 6. Everything about mystery Babylon religion is reflected in this religious seat and synagogue of Satan. So Paul in Rome, there's a reason God's sending Paul to Rome. It's because the seat of Gentile power is going to be there, and it is there even to this day. Though Rome will kill Paul and then would bring 10 subsequent waves of pagan Roman persecution, uh, and then after, after 400 A.D. would bring a couple, about 1,440 more, more years of persecution uh, against Bible believers until the founding of the United States. He still needed someone to witness. God still loves Romans, even, the system is even though the system is corrupt. He sent Paul to Rome as a missionary because he wanted a great missionary movement to come there. In the northern plains of Italy come some of the greatest missionaries the world's ever seen. Today it's a, it's a ghost town of missionary or not missionaries i actually know a couple but it's it's a it's very hard to find bible believers in italy today and so why do you bring all this up brian and it's getting long and i gotta finish i'm glad you asked we looked at three key cities we've looked at what are they jerusalem and uh, alexandria and rome big major prophetic impactful cities on big spiritual stuff and you might be going ah oh, Okay, Brian, I gotta go. I gotta barbecue. Okay, I get it. But I just want you to remember some other key cities real quick before we leave. Don't forget where you come from. You may live in Rome, but you're not from it. You're not of it. Antioch is not mentioned in in Acts 28, but her influence is mentioned more in the Bible. It's mentioned 16 times to Rome's 14 times. It's mentioned more in the Book of Acts, I should say, than than uh, than even Rome. And Rome was a major city. Antioch wasn't a major city like Rome or Alexandria or Jerusalem. But there was something in Rome. You know what was in Rome? Anybody know? Yeah, the first eclectic church. First called Christians. She nailed it. Uh, over in Acts eleven twenty six, they were the disciples, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. The Bible, the preaching, the gospel went forth out of a church, a church of all peoples that went to the, all of the world. And man, it wasn't from Jerusalem. It wasn't from Rome. It wasn't from Alexandria. It was from Antioch. And beloved, it doesn't matter what all the forces of hell uh, arrange against God's people. When we are focused on the word of God, doing what God calls us to do, there is nothing that can stop God's forward progress. Antioch of Syria was an, an eclectic, diverse church that sent the, the word of God to the world. May the churches of Kansas City, may the churches of Harrisonville, may the churches of Cass County be like those churches. And don't miss that you're living in a key city. You think, oh, Kansas City, I mean, it's nothing. You know what Kansas City is? It's an inland port to the, the most powerful nation right now, at least, on the world, of the world. All the shipping lanes are here. You can ship goods from China, land it in Kansas City without paying a tariff until you get to KC. And then you can put it on a truck and get it where you need it to go. Why is that? Well, because God wants us to get the word of God where it needs to go. We live in a place where we have access to shipping lanes, even though we don't have an ocean nearby. God does that because he wants us to get the gospel where it needs to go on time, by preaching it, but also by putting it together and sending it. Like Rome, uh, commerce and shipping lanes were critical to getting the gospel where it needed to go. Paul wanted, uh, God wanted a church in, in Rome because if it was in Rome, it was going to be where? In the world, and we're charged to reach the world. Beloved, we can reach the world from right here. And that's what we've been trying to do for the last 18 years. We've been trusting God to do that very thing. And if you're listening to me and you're a pastor of a church, that's what your church should be doing. I don't care if it's in Clinton, Missouri. I don't care where it's at. That is the mission. We should all be about doing it. And we can all work together to accomplish that goal. I'm looking forward to getting the word of God to, to places like Sierra Leone, Mexico, Malawi, prisons, jails, local churches, wherever God tells us to take it. And we've got the means to get it there by God's grace. I want to thank everybody this week that's worked so hard to get us up to 19. I thought it was 1,250, so praise God. We still got about that much to go and a little more. So this week, if you really want to get in on this mission and make it real, show up today, tomorrow, take a break. Show up tomorrow, and you can come from 5 to, or from not 5, 8 to 5, 9 to 5, 
don't listen to me. Talk to Bob. <laughs> He'll get you squared away. And get in here and put the Bible together. They'll show you what to do, man. And we'll get it where it needs to go on time. We need prayer as well. We've got a big project right now, the Chichewa, uh New Testaments. So we got, uh, we're wanting to trust the Lord for over 20,000 of those things to be assembled here this fall at the Fall Bible Conference. Uh, it's associated with Pastor Palir Chibwana, uh, Pastor Mark Trotter, all of that. You know what? We're, we need to pray that God gets the actual digital text into the digital hands so we can get to a physical printing press. That's what we need to pray as soon as possible so everything else can happen. So be praying about that. Because you're a key city. You're a key people in a key place. And that's what makes a key city, the Word of God and the people of God. And so the last, and I can't, I can't stop without mentioning this, the last place you've got to know about We've talked about Jerusalem. We've talked about Alexandria. We've talked about Rome. we talked about Antioch. we talked about Harrisonville. But you know what really gets you to finish well? You know why you're really going to finish strong? You know why it was really going to pull you across the finish line in life? It's Jerusalem above. You know that Paul was able to finish strong on the ends of the earth because you know what? He knew this wasn't his home. This life was not, this wasn't all there was to, to, to live for. He wasn't going to get caught up in idolatry. He wasn't going to go blind. Although he might have had vision problems, he could see clearly. Why? Because he was focused on a kingdom above. Jerusalem above. In Revelation 21, 2, he says, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Galatians 4, 26, uh, Paul said, But Jerusalem, which is above, is, listen to this, fourth of july weekend it's free it's free which is the mother of us all paul may have been a servant and a prisoner in this life as he traveled to rome but he was free because he was a citizen of heaven you see oftentimes americans don't understand how idolatry has led to their captivity they don't understand how blindness is set in and they can't really see what's really important it's not our rights it's not the rights of the people it's what god has a right to and he has a right he has a right to condemn everybody he wants to, but he doesn't want to condemn anybody. He says, for I love the world, and I gave my only begotten son so I could redeem the world. And I want people to rise up in faith and understand that key people and key places make a difference with a key word and a key message. And next week we're going to talk about the key message. God's word is so important to getting people out of bondage. There are people in bondage. There are people right now that can't even speak freely. Because they, they're scared and they don't want to speak of Jesus. And Jesus is the only answer in this world. So next week we'll look at that key message and how important it is to getting that out. But as we conclude this morning, Jerusalem, Alexandria, Rome, they don't have anything on Antioch, Harrisonville, and New Jerusalem. Amen? All of that stuff doesn't mean a hill of beans when you put it right down on the line and get the word of God in the hearts of people wherever they are in the world. Man, God is going to get them all, all of us, to Jerusalem above. And I can't wait. The spirit and the bride say, come. All who is thirsty, come. Drink of that water of life freely. Are you a key man or a key woman? Are you saved this morning? Are you in a key city? You better, you better believe you are. If we're putting the word of God together, if we're preaching the word of God, it's key. And you're key people. And so we've got to act like it. We've got to do what God's called us to do. We've got to be who God's called us to be so we can accomplish what God has called us to accomplish. For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not your liberty for idolatry. Now, that's not what it says, but it could say that. Only use not your liberty as an occasion to the flesh. Israel had all they could ever want in regard to promises and opportunity. And you know what they did? They went into blindness. Well, did the prophet Isaiah say, you guys just can't hear and you can't see. I'm not saying that to y'all. I'm saying that because I don't want that to happen. I don't want it to happen to me and I don't want it to happen to you. Would you covenant with me? Let's keep our eye on the prize, all right? Let's stay focused on things above and not get blinded by idolatry, by the things of the flesh. By, by love, let's serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this.